If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every time. And this one was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 145 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. I'm here to keep the conversations classic. That's what I do. I've got a great one for you today. Oh, yes, I do. Jim Meskimen is here. That's right. Jim Meskimen, actor, improviser, voice artist, star of TV and film. Loved him in Whose Line Is It Anyway? Five Ron Howard films. Cult classic show called Impress Me. Personal friend with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Kinda. You gotta listen to the interview. Jim is a master impressionist. He had a viral video, 1 million views, reciting Shakespeare passages, just using a million different celebrity voices. It's absolutely incredible. I'll put a link in the bio. You gotta check it out. Jim comes from a very famous family. His mom is Marion Ross. That's right. Mrs. C from Happy Days was Jim's real mom. Those out there are like, wait, she was my mom too. Well, she's actually Jim's mom. If you want to hear more from Marion Ross, check out episode 114 of Classic Conversations. Anyway, you're going to love my conversation with Jim. He's amazing. Also amazing. Episode 144, Don't Miss It, with Peter Macon from the Orville. Lieutenant Commander Bordas. I love that show. I love talking to Peter. You're going to love Peter and the show after. If you don't watch it, you're just going to gobble it up. It's on Hulu. You got to do it. Well, we're going to try things a little differently on the show now. I'm going to get right into the interview. Some of you are like, that's quick. The rest of you are like, well, it's about time. Jim Meskimen was on the set of Happy Days, the Jump the Shark episode where he, oh, you're going to have to, I don't want to ruin it for you. Here's my interview with Jim Meskimen. Enjoy. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest. You loved him in Annie Hall, The Deer Hunter, and True Romance. Welcome to the show, Christopher Walken. Hi. Hi. It's nice talking to you, Jeff. It's uh, an honor, I would say, you know, if it was. I love that watch. Where did you get it? Oh, that watch. This watch. You want to know about this watch? This watch has got a real story attached to it. I I, don't want to go into it, though. It's a painful memory. Painful. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just kidding around. I am excited to introduce you to actor, impressionist, voice, talent, speaker, director, improvisational comedian, dubbed the world's greatest impressionist by the Australian Today Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Jim Meskimen. Whoa. Hey, Jim. Hey there, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the people, we, we, we really uh, depend on the Australian uh, Today Show to let us know who the greatest categories of entertainer are. So that was nice of them. That is nice of them. And yeah. uh, I think I read on your website or somewhere, Seth Green's like, yeah. Old buddy, Seth Green. I met Seth Green when he was about 10. We were working on an animated series together in New York. And uh, he was a precocious 10-year-old. He's still precocious and uh, a dear friend. Do you do robot chicken voices for him? I did. I did an episode of Robot Chicken. Yeah, I, I would love to do more. That's a funny <laughs> show. <laughs> yes. Funny show. It's very insouciant. Yeah. Jim, you've got an amazing career and, and background. I'm always interested 
at first just to kind of find out like what kind of sparked not necessarily like i'm interested to hear like what sparked the acting i'm guessing living in, in a household with a famous tv mom but like but also when did you like discover the voices inside you because it's not like you just do two voices i mean you have a million voices in you like when did you start to discover that as a talent too and then just start to put all this to work Jeff, it was a hobby with me. I, like a lot of the kids, you know, some guys like to, I, I used to like to, I was one of the kids who used to draw. I'd sit and do cartoons. I'd copy Mad Magazine and Hal Hirschfeld and try to draw like these wonderful expressive characters, you know, and for my own amusement, really. And then, it, you know, if you get slightly good at something when you're a kid, whether it's soccer or juggling or magic or, or art, people start to identify you with that skill and you become the kid who draws and, you know, like who's going to make the poster? Well, Jim should do the poster. Who's going to do the cartoon? Well, Jim should do this. So I became, you know, the, the guy that you would turn to if you needed something, a cartoon or something. And that had its own, you know, benefit. Of course, it's nice to be competent at something and nice to be rewarded and, and, uh, and all that. And I thought really that that was going to be my main career. That was what I was most interested in at the time when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. As I got older, I realized, well, you know, I, I also like to do voices and I like to act and I like to make people laugh. And I didn't really commit to uh, having a career in that for quite a while. Really, all these things sort of developed slowly over time as I was like allowed to indulge in the things that I was really interested in gained enough, enough proficiency so that eventually someone said, hey, you know, we will, we will pay you for that. And when I moved to New York City in my early 20s, after, after really pursuing an art career, or at least art training, not so much the career, but the training to be a painter very intensely, in New York, as in any big city, you, you sort of bring out everything you have that you can do that might get you a job that's better than being a waiter. So I, I basically worked uh, as an illustrator cartoonist and I schlepped my portfolio all over Manhattan and, and Brooklyn and got little jobs and finally got a, a job uh, designing characters for Thundercats, of all things, Thundercats TV show. All along the way, though, I was still entertaining myself and my friends with voices and my ability to change my voice and impersonate different people. And then as soon as I could, I, I offered it for sale, basically. I, you know, I went and did auditions. I, I put together cassette tapes and demo tapes and sent them out all over the place and, and eventually started working in that area. So, you know, it's just the path of life leads you in a lot of funny directions. But I've always been able to have the, the great you know, advantage and honor of being able to permitted to follow my, my own path of interest. That's great. That's really cool. That's the Thundercats. <laughs> kind of glad. I, I did Thundercats. Okay. <laughs> to go back to that for a second. So that was with uh, Rankin Bass. Yes, Rankin Bass. Yeah. Uh, Jules Bass hired me uh, initially to do storyboarding. And then that, that didn't really fly too well. So he gave me another chance and I got to do a character design. And that was more up my alley anyway. I, I didn't know anything about storyboarding at the time. I really didn't. But I knew I knew about characters and I knew about costumes and I knew about drawing stuff. And, and I, it was a very fruitful time. I, it, it helped keep us you know, in our apartment. <laughs> in New York and, and making a, a base from which we could begin to grow. When I say we, my wife and I we were both uh, in the theater and, and doing other things that don't really pay. So it was nice to have that that weekly uh, salary. And, and it was very creative. Actually, I still get work in Thundercats reboots, mostly on the basis of the fact that I had something to do with the original series. So so that's cool. Do you ever do Comic-Cons or anything like that with some of the stuff that you've I've done? gone to Comic-Con in San Diego twice. I've been invited to speak at a panel by Mark Evans. And uh, 
gone twice for that, but I've not, I don't star in a lot of animated series. I'm like, I'm a guest guy that comes in. I, Ultron is probably my biggest claim to fame in recent years. The Comic-Con thing is not a big part of my, not a big part of my life. I was thinking like Geico should probably get something going where they pull all the characters from all those Geico commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Jim was George yeah. Washington in the most recent one. That's right. And, and uh, that would be hilarious, right? They could sponsor Comic-Cons and bring you in because people, I think they'll go, oh, that's recognizable because they create like these amazing commercials. I, what is it with they insurance do. companies that have the funniest commercials on TV? <laughs> I, I, You know, I think they must be trying. It's a very competitive world, the insurance world. And I think they're trying to cut through with humor and it's great. The bigger brands do that. You know, it, it's actually probably expensive to do because anybody can, can write a crappy commercial, but a, a really funny commercial like those Geico spots, you got to have a brain trust there. You got to have a really good team of people. That's that's not cheap. Do you get uh, recognized from that or is it too much makeup? Never. Never? Yeah, it was a lot of makeup. Yeah. Well, Joe Piscopo, you have a uh, video on your website. Joe Piscopo yeah. was like, get yeah. me Jim Beskiman, the George Washington from the Geico ad. Yeah, yeah, it was very kind of him. Somebody pointed out, he said, somebody told me, hey, Joe Piscopo has been talking about you on, your, on this, on Fox. I'm like, he has? <laughs> And then, then I found that that clip and uh, yeah, it's at jimmeskiman.com. And uh, and then we've become friends. I've been on his show a couple of times. When I go to New York, I usually say, hey, Joe, I'm coming to New York. Oh, you got to come in, come in and be on the show. Come on. It'll be great. He's a, he's an impressionist. Yeah, no, that's why he appreciates what I do. He, he, he understands and he is a terrific impressionist. It's incredible. A very sweet guy. Back to Thundercats. The Rankin Bass thing to me is exciting because as a, as, a, as a little Jewish boy, those were the only Christmas shows I watched. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> right. and Santa yeah. Claus is coming to town. Frosty the Snowman. Those were like still staples in the house. <laughs> well, we, you know, my wife and I like to watch uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer every year. It is a very funny, speaking of Jewish, it, it's got a lot of Jewish comedy in it, I think. A real, you know, snappy snappy high quality comedy in it and uh and when i worked in the office there there in a little glass case was rudolph frosty those little figures they're all kind of moth-eaten and you know they got manipulated a lot by people twisting their wires and moving them around and putting them and nailing them down and so it was a little the worse for wear but it was like me it was like seeing a celebrity in in a glass case oh i'd freak out if i saw that little rudolph the red-nosed reindeer (laughs) yeah with the red nose or with the little black thing on his nose? The little uh, it was red nose. Red, red nose. nose. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So he's not free. The, not the free. mud covering it. Not yeah. the mud, right? So <laughs> so the other thing I was excited to see that you were in is the Whose Line Is It Anyway? But not the Drew Carey version, the UK version. No. And the reason I was excited about that, that was like a staple when I was in college, like mm. in the apartment. Like we had kind mm-hmm. of whatever the comedy channel was at that time. And like that was running all the time. You are you are great. Improvisational comedian. Uh, well, I, I got a lot of really good training when I was in New York, and we tried a lot of ambitious projects. And in fact, not to sound egotistical, but the who's when the Who's Line people came to us. By the way, we had no understanding or knowledge of the show. We had no conversance with it because it was a British show that we didn't didn't run in America at the time. And these guys came over and said, "Hey, we've got this show, and it's improvised, and uh, we'd love for you to be part of it." And and you know, they showed us a, a cassette, a VHS cassette of a show, and we're like. Okay, this is what we teach in our classes. This is nothing special, <laughs> you know, compared to the work at all. But we were doing improvised Broadway musicals. We were doing massive, ambitious projects. So this thing was like literally like a, a walk in the park for us, but fun, you know. And I enjoyed uh, working with almost everybody on the show. It ran for just years and years. So I would get recognized uh, from it uh, quite a bit. And and of course, the show went on to have tremendous impact. And now has been rebooted many times with different hosts. And I. 
I did audition for the American version, the Drew Carey version. But in the end, uh, you know, I think he did what anybody would do. And he hired his pals. And uh, I was not a friend of Pierce. Although my mother played his mother on the Drew Carey show. Apparently, that didn't really cut much ice. Yeah, you think that would... uh... (laughs) You think that would do something, but no. I mean, you think that would have done something? It was like you should. Marion should have called Drew and uh, gave him a word yeah, or two. She should have. She should have balled him out. Yeah. <laughs> Just want to take a quick break and thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us at Classic Conversations, and that's how we keep the lights on. Now back to Jim Meskimen. We were talking about Marion Ross. She's been a lot of mothers to people. So uh, I have to share her with many, many celebrities and and with people that come up to me and say, you know, your mom raised me. I go, okay, if you say so. What was that like? I mean, it's probably a different experience now, but what was it like when you were just a young kid and here's your mom? And I read your mom's book. And so I know she worked like she had a, a work discipline like crazy right and and so like very intense very focused and so here she is the greatest mom in the world on tv and everyone loves Mm. her it was it's got to be hard as a young kid even if you know the home life is the greatest life it's still you're sharing your mom it's there's so much it's like what is that even yeah it's hard for me to fathom but yeah, you know, luckily I wasn't like a real little kid. I mean, by the time Happy Days rolled around, uh, I was well versed in the reality of a working actress looking for a good opportunity. We were always happy when she got a job because it meant that the bills would get paid. She's a single mom. You know, my uh, parents got divorced when I was about eight. And Happy Days rolls around, and I think they shoot the pilot when I'm about 12 or 13, maybe. And so it doesn't really become a hit until mm, a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm starting to be a teenager. And then by the time I'm old enough to drive 16 years old in LA, uh, I can drive to Paramount and watch them shoot on Friday nights. So I'm I'm delighted and not confused at all about the identity of, of my mother or what that means or anything like that, because um, I knew that she was a working actress and I knew that what we were, what we were trying to accomplish as a family. I was more confused about my own attraction to her world the world of being an actor on television, you know, where you have all this fame and stuff, because it was obviously very shiny and attractive. There was a pole there. I sort of distrusted it because I didn't really see what it what it meant for me, like deeply, you know, for as a life choice. And so I had to kind of work out for myself, well, what's honorable about this uh, career? You know, is it just that it's flashy and it's money and new cars and, and attention and girls, you know, or whatever? Or is it something that's really going to, you know, I, I, I don't want to paint myself as being a really wise old soul, but I was looking for something that had some some meaning, you know, I've been a painter and I studied painting a lot. I thought, well, that, that seems pretty honorable too. So what's the difference, you know, and it took me a while to sort it out. And eventually I decided to focus on acting and, and because it was more social than painting, it was more, there were more people involved. And indeed there've been a lot of people involved in my, my life. It's fun. So I don't remember if I jotted this down from your mom's book, but you were in the jump the shark episode. I'm the one who announces. That's right. You scream. It's a shark. Can you do it here too? Can you do it for me? Yeah. Got a shark out there. Yeah, they got it pinned up until Marine Land can come and pick it up. So funny. How does it feel to be part of what became like such an iconic, an iconic episode thing. and uh, phrase? Funny, yeah. Of all the episodes, that's the one that's that's quoted, and it's really my line. Also, it's come to mean. Uh, somebody pointed this out to me not too long ago that it's come to mean like a point in a show where it's so kind of tired that they're resorting to stunts, right? And stunt casting and weird. <laughs> 
<laughs> story plot twists that aren't really organic to the show. But in fact, Happy Days wasn't really at that point. It hadn't jumped the shark yet. They were literally jumping a shark, but that was season five of 11. So they had a ways to go before they actually, or maybe there are degrees of shark jumping, and that was just the first degree. <laughs> yeah, no, it still had a long life after that. I think in hindsight, looking back, people were like, oh, that was, it's out of context. It, does, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just funny how that all, all happened. Yeah. And at that point, I hadn't really committed. I mean, it's not an acting. I don't do a, a real job of acting in, in my episode of Happy Days at all, playing a 17-year-old on a beach. And I was a 17-year-old on the beach. But, you know, I had not made a, a real commitment to being an actor. I was still kind of dancing around it and trying to... Don't don't knock yourself. I was watching that. I did not believe that was a shark until you're like, it's a shark. And then I'm like... It, yeah, well, it okay, is. that is a shark. Yeah, yeah. The guy says it's a shark. Oh, oh my man. God, it is a shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think it was a diver with a fin. <laughs> Pretty sure I, was, I always thought it was funny that he kept his jacket on, the leather jacket. Yeah, he kept his jacket on, yeah. I mean, that's your mom. When I inter- I interviewed her, invited me to come to Happy Days Farm. So yes. I, I might just show up one day. I think I'm sure she invites everyone, but I'm, one day I'll be like, "Hello." She does. She invites everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I did feel special, though. You tell her how special I. Feel. Yeah, I will. I will. Well, and she won't. She won't turn you away. So there is a gate there now, but uh... <laughs> there is a gate. But you, you're more than welcome to join us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll turn off the electricity for you. Close the blinds. <laughs> I one of the shows I saw that you did, which I thought was really cool, and who really cool who you did it with, impressed me with uh, hmm. Ross Marquand. Yeah, he is also an extremely talented impressionist from The Walking Dead. I met him, humble guy too, really nice guy. We were walking yeah. into a comic con at the same time. I had, I had my press pass. So I was a back door, the same door as he was walking in, and he opened the door for me. And I was just like, <laughs> like. Yeah, you know, he's just all right, dude. Hey, how you doing? You know, he was like, I think he just likes to use that hand because you know, in the show it's chopped <laughs> right, off. Right, 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 right. How did how did that show? How did you meet Ross and like uh, the kindred spirits with the, the many voices each? Oh, it's a, it's a fun story. We had met Ross is one of these people that intersects with a lot of other actors and a lot of other people. I'm always meeting people. Oh, you know Ross? Yeah, you know Ross. One of these connector type guys, and we met on a, a short film. And we didn't spend a lot of time together, but we spent enough time together to know that we were kind of kindred spirits and particularly in the, in the voice and accents and stuff. And we were kind of messing around and we found that we could both play with voices and we had a nice introduction to one another. Then, I don't know, a year later, we met on another short film or another short project that somebody was doing. And I was like, Ross and he was, ah, Jim. And we, again, goofed around with voices and stuff. And then I happened to um, meet a director and work for a director that was doing a series called uh, on YouTube called The Flip Side, which was kind of like a Twilight Zone-ish kind of YouTube series, web series. And his name is Ben Shelton. And in, you know, he contacted me because I had a viral video out doing impressions and he was looking for people to, to be in his shorts that had some following. And anyway, we uh, struck up a friendship and then I was looking at some of his past work, past episodes of the flip side. And I said, oh, there's Ross Marquand. So when I met Ben, I said, you worked with, with Ross and he went, oh yeah, yeah. I like Ross a lot. I began to, I, I met with Ross 
And I said, you know, we we both do impressions. There's something we ought to we ought to like kick around some ideas and, and come up with some stuff, ideas for YouTube or, or for whatever. He said, great. And then the two of us, we kind of didn't sort it out. We didn't sort of solve it. But we met with Ben and Ben solved it. He said, oh, I think this is a show about two guys like you who do impressions, but who want to be serious actors. And he wrote this this eight episode web series that uh, he got Soul Pancake at that time was he was working with them and they bankrolled it. It wasn't very expensive, but we shot eight episodes. They liked those very much. And they said, well, why don't we expand these? We could just expand each of these episodes and make it into a TV series. And they wanted to get into TV. And, and so Ben wrote extra, padded it up and found new things. And we had all kinds of interesting other impressionists involved. Christina Bianco was involved. Dana DeLorenzo, who's on another zombie show, Ash versus... Ash. Yeah, I love that show. Ash versus Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Ash yeah, versus yeah, yeah. some dead people. Uh, and she was charming and wonderful and a bunch of others. And we put together this series and it actually ran on a channel called Pop. And then it ran, then it was silent, dormant for a long time. You couldn't find it anywhere. And then it was on Amazon Prime. And now, sadly, it's silent and dormant again. I think because Soul Pancake has been taken over by another entity and they're sorting out all their properties. And anyway, I'll be very happy when it's available to be seen again, because it was a very charming show. Kevin Pollack was in it and a few episodes, who's an amazing impressionist also. Yeah, Yeah, he's, he's terrific. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, the other person, uh, just the name that popped out, Melissa Villasenor. Yeah, that's right. Melissa Villasenor. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, Saturday Night Live. Yes. I was aware of her just prior to Saturday Night Live. I'd seen some videos yeah. she had done. And yeah. she is incredible. And I think one of the most underused people on Saturday Night Live. I was happy to see her in your in your thing because she's so good. She's so good. Yeah. We, we underused her also. <laughs> but she's yeah no she's terrific i like her very much she's very very talented she's just a good actress really 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 good oh you are mary kate and, and ashley olsen's father and our lips are sealed yeah got us down to australia for the first time I, one of my many trips to australia was to be their father that was a lot of fun learned a lot about the australian accent down there the dialect in sydney everyone talks like this it come kind of come up at the end not sure why I, I thought I thought I was talking. So I thought someone took over the show for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me, got to just elbow my way in here. But uh, the show's going very well, by the way, Jeff. Terrific podcast. Uh, we're going to move in a slightly different direction and talk about uh, watch repair. <laughs> Love it. Oh, did you get to know Willie Garson on there? May he rest in peace. A little bit. Uh, we worked together one day. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I got to know him just a tiny little bit. I know he was a very beloved guy. All right. That was awesome. So many awesome things. So you mentioned your viral video that went viral. It was uh, Shakespeare Impressions. Is that the one we're talking about? That's right. Yeah. That was the first one that went legitimately viral. And that was uh, a big surprise. It was a bit that I'd been doing for years on stage. Clarence's dream speech from Richard III done in Celebrity Voices. And and uh, what I used to always do was... Um, have the audience call out names. And in the in the middle of the speech, I would just change on a dime and, and do the next celebrity. And when I made the v- video myself, the hardest part about it was determining and remembering the order of the celebrities myself, because I had nobody yelling out anything. I was just doing it in the comfort of my own studio. So I uh, eventually got that done to my to my liking and put it up on YouTube and and miraculously watched these numbers just sail. It was it was a real thrill, I have to say. If you've ever had a viral video, it's like I imagine it's what stock market people, Wall Street people must they go, look, look, now we're worth now we're worth 25 cents. Now now every share is worth 28 cents. Honey, come here. 
No, it must have, it broke a million, right? Eventually. Yeah, it kind of it raced towards half a million very briskly and then it kind of tapered off and now it's it's I don't know that up to date with it, but it is it passed a million. Don't a lie, ago. you check every morning. I would check well, it's every a million, morning. 1.28. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay between us. I I would <laughs> I would do the same thing. Let me ask you about impressions cuz I saw the deep fake one on your website, which was incredible, yeah. where they actually put the people's faces over as yeah. you did it. But when you do an impression anyway, like you're doing De Niro or any of them, you do kind of, and most impressionists do this, if not all of them, like you kind of become that person a bit as much as you you mold your face. Like how much is in being an impressionist and doing these voices actually kind of morphing a little bit more of your body, not just your voice? Like how much of it? of you actually you throw right into each one this is a good question jeff it's a, you know it's a lot of people ask this this is something that, uh, you know i've talked to ross Marquand about it and uh, he, he's of the same mind that i am that it, it's an acting job so you are you're exactly right we say you're becoming that character and that means the way they sit the words they use you know what they do with their hands they move their hands they don't you know they break <laughs> They breathe. You know, there's a lot of components to it. What I do is I, again, I, I it's it's a, such a lucky thing. It's just my my interest is I, I I go to a movie and I watch like when I was a kid, Woody Allen was very big, and uh, I, I would go to the movie theater to watch a movie, a Woody Allen movie, and you know, get come out at the end of it, you know, completely immersed in this personality. You know, I suddenly have a number of foibles and neuroses that I didn't have when I walked in, and that's just a, the factor of like, wow, I love this performance. I love, there's something I love about this personality. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wear it out of the shop. I'm just gonna try it on. And I think the difference between me and other people is that I, I don't mind indulging that. And I will act like somebody for an hour or, or you know, if I, if I feel like, and now is because it's justified. I may have to play this character. I may have to do a job to keep my, the food on the table. And, and it would be great if I really could sound like this person. So uh, if I go and see um, Patrick Stewart or something, I watch him on a video. There's something so attractive about that that way he has of expressing himself that um, I'm very comfortable just behaving like him for a while. That means it changes the way I hold my body and the, the sort of words I'd use. Uh, but it's acting. It's what we do as actors. It, it just is a, a more of a, I guess it's a bit of a novelty, you know, because it's a, it's a skill that doesn't have super wide applications, but enough so that it actually exists as a profession. Sorry to interrupt this amazing conversation with Jim Meskimen. We've got to take a quick break. And now we're back with Jim Meskimen. I'm about to ask him a very important impressions question. So how much do, do you randomly go into voices around the house and does your wife like it or hate it? <laughs> well, you know, when, when it's appropriate, you know, when it benefits someone other than me, I think it's appreciated. When it's just me effing around, maybe it's not so appreciated. But uh, I like not having any kind of a governor or a limit on my expression. I think most people want to feel free to communicate. We want to be able to express our ideas. And if I if I need to talk like someone else to get something across fully, then I don't stop myself, you know, unless it's unless I realize that nobody's going to appreciate it. And it's not going to really land. My wife is very patient and we've been married almost 35 years. Oh, that's amazing. We still are very much in love. I respect her and I try not to ever use my my impressions or any of my acting to irritate her. 
Oh, see, but I would think it would be the great, like, I look, I don't, I wasn't questioning your love when I brought it up. I just know if my wife was like screaming at me at something and I'd be all of a sudden going to Shatner, it seems <laughs> you're, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I they think I would use that. And then, you know, just to escalate or elevate, just to <laughs> divert it. I don't know. It just seems like if I had yeah. that skill, if, I, if that was a superpower I had, Jim, <laughs> that's one of the ways I would use it. <laughs> Or at restaurants. Do you ever do it at restaurants where they're like, hey, uh, what would you like? Do you just order someone else and see if they get it? <laughs> These are the things I would do. The only time I've done anything like that, I, you know, I do a, a Colonel Sanders voice for the KFC brand. So I do a lot of commercials for uh, the radio and uh, TV for KFC. Uh, and occasionally I have, just for a gag, I drive, go through the drive through and, and order my chicken like this. And uh, I can't say that they really notice. <laughs> they just think... I'm just some uh, crazy old codger ordering a, a, one of those fine chicken sandwiches. Right. Just some 16 year old that just isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's right. I don't know. I can barely understand this person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fun ways to use, use your voices. I use them all the time. I, you know, I create projects for myself. I, uh, I have a YouTube channel. I feed it every day. I do a thing called a celebrity fortune cookie where I've got a wheel of impressions and a bowl of fortune cookies. And I, I open up a cookie, spin the wheel and I read the, the fortune in a celebrity voice. And then usually you have to interpret it because very, we've discovered that very few fortune cookies actually contain fortunes. They contain little jokes and little little poems and little pieces of advice. But there's not like today you will dis- you will find you know money on the street. You know there's no actual not a lot of actual fortunes going on out there. So I sometimes have to massage it a little bit so that it is a fortune for the viewer. So I do that every day, and then I also do a. God, just any project that comes to mind. Like I, I, one day I was like obsessed because I, I realized the only Beatles song I can think of that could have been a Tom Waits song is from Sgt. Pepper's being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I could hear it. I was like, wow, that would make, I, 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 I would make an interesting little snippet. So my daughter, like ta- my daughter learned how to plunk it out on the piano. I said, can you play this? Cause she plays a little bit. And she said, I think so. She worked it out on the piano and I got all made up and we got the green screen out. And we, we produced this little, I don't know, what is it? 40 second long snippet of Mr. Kite as sung by Tom Waits. And it just made us feel great. And uh, you know, a bunch of people saw it. actually Ron Howard saw it and he contacted me. He was like, this is, this is really good. I really like this. So it has its benefits. Does Ron Howard love when you do Ron Howard to Ron Howard? I don't think he loves it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how much he's actually heard it, actually. But uh, he did hear it one time, but he didn't know it was me. There was a tribute. I got hired to do a recording for a tribute to Ron and to Imagine Entertainment. And I went, oh, okay. And they said, can you do Ron Howard's voice? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I get down there to record and it's like a a description of Imagine. And I'm like, I said, is Ron going to be at this banquet? And they said, yeah. Oh, yeah, he'll be there. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Why don't you get him to read it? And they couldn't, I don't know, it wasn't available or. So people were supposed to believe it actually was him. Yeah, it was, that was the conceit. And so later on, when I heard about it, I, I asked Ron about it. I said, did you go to a, an award ceremony and blah, blah, And he said, yeah, you know, I, I listened to that and I thought, oh, when did I record that? And did I have a cold? <laughs> I still to this day don't know why they just didn't get him to do it at his own tribute, describing his own company. But there you go. A good prank to pull to pull on Ron Howard would be to take season one Arrested Development, an episode, and redub his voiceovers with just some ridiculous thing and then just play it and see if uh-huh. he notices. Let's <laughs> I, I think he'd catch on pretty fast. I don't know. You were in five Ron Howard films. 
I've that, been in five so far. I hope to do many more. That's awesome. He's he makes the greatest films. So Frost, he really Nixon, does. I've been in some of the best. I, I I have to say, I really all his films are good. Uh, but Apollo thirteen for me is a real high spot. It's one of those films that if it's on TV, I and I happen to flick through, I gotta watch it because it's just really great. It it does fall in that category of one of those like where you just you stop. It doesn't matter which part it's at. Yeah. You just kind of yeah. watch it. Wait, so you're in the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Ed TV, The Paper, Apollo thirteen, and Frost Nixon. So cool. Yeah, that's right. So you've known Ron a long time because if you were 12, yeah. 13, 14, you know, six, 12, you know, yeah, early yeah. teenager during the happy about days 13 years. And he was probably about 18, you know? So he's got a great book out now, by the way, uh, a, a, a memoir called The Boys about uh, that he and his brother Clint wrote. And Clint is another really fascinating person. The story of those two young boys uh, and their family is amazing. I really enjoyed the book. It's very well put together. It's very conversational, but just very enlightening. Uh, the boys, uh, I recommend it to anybody. And they did the audiobook version too, so you can hear them. They did not hire me to do the audiobook version, which is very wise, <laughs> I think. Oh, man. His daughter is amazing too, Ron's daughter. She is. Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah. Known her since she was a little thing. Actor, actress, and then uh, the directing. I mean, she's like, gonna, yeah. she's making yeah. a real name for herself right now, specifically. And all the Star Wars stuff she's been doing. Incredible. Yeah, the Jurassic Park stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so cool. So cool. All right. So, all right. So your impressions. So Shakespeare impression, viral video, million views. And then you find yourself on America's Got Talent. Yeah, that uh, the viral video got me all kinds of opportunities. And one of them was I uh, went up to speak at a conference that was kind of like a TED Talk kind of deal. And uh, at that thing was a producer. There was a, a man who was kind of scouting for America's Got Talent. And he invited me to be part of that. And I, after some convincing, I, I said, okay. <laughs> I didn't really see how it applied to professionals, but it turned out that you know it's not just an amateur show, but it's people that have been working for years or whatever. And for me, it was just a way to sort of introduce my, my talents to a lot of different people. And that was an interesting experience. I didn't win, but I got to perform for uh, 6,000 people at Radio City Music Hall, which was a lot, plus the TV audience. So it was a good challenge, you know, because it was, it's, that's, that's kind of nervy, especially you only have 90 seconds, you know, it's like, it's like a mad sprint, but fun and, and interesting. From there, you know, things have just continued to grow. And I, I do my one man show from time to time. Of course, it's been shut down when we didn't have uh, the ability to have people in the theater starting it up again. And, uh, and then just doing a lot of TV, I uh, had a lot of opportunities uh, come up in the TV area. I still have to audition like most working actors. That's fine. And I worked on an episode of Hunters, which will be coming out this, Sunday, this summer. But the uh, series is launching that I have a couple of episodes in, and that's uh, Gaslit with Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. Oh, I saw that on the Stars Network. That looks amazing. Yeah, I think that'll be really good. Oh, and so you're in Hunters season two. So there is a season two coming. So now I'm excited that yes. you're you're going to be in it. And yeah. that they even made a sequel. I'm all about yeah. more Nazi hunting. I'm totally on board with that. <laughs> yeah, no Nazis were actually harmed in the making of the film. But... <laughs> what, uh, the big door prize? Big door prize. Yeah, that that I just wrapped uh, working on that series, and that's a really fun comedy from the makers of uh, or one of the one of the creators of Schitt's Creek, David West Reed. Chris O'Dowd, comedian. Love Irish Chris O'Dowd. Actor, you love him too. He's fantastic. He stars in it. And uh, he's wonderful. Actually, I really enjoyed working with him because I, I laughed at him so much. You see him on YouTube, on chat shows, and he's just charming and funny. And I really like working with him. 
So that is called the Big Door Prize. It doesn't have a door prize. It's not a game show. It's a little bit of a confusing title, but uh, it's about a small town that has this very high-tech kind of Zoltar machine drop in the middle of it. And it, it purports to, to use you know, all these modern kind of metrics to determine people's true destiny. And that, of course, creates a lot of chaos in the small town as people discover their true destiny is quite distant from what they're actually doing with their lives. So that's going to be coming out, I think, in the fall, maybe October. That sounds amazing. Your your one person show, Jim Pressions. Yes. I just want to make sure we say the name. So I watch, there's a lot of clips on your website and, and just on YouTube in general, your YouTube channel. You do a Bohemian Rhapsody thing, which was incredible. But oh, thanks. I had a question though, like even with America's Got Talent, where you're just, you know, they're naming names, right? They're just, you know, Howard Stern is throwing a name at you. They Right. They hit you up from Twitter, right? A name from Twitter. Uh, right. And then you just, from what we were talking about earlier, where it's just, it's it's enacting, you're putting everything into it. How hard is it? Especially in, like you said, those 90 seconds to like switch on a dime from a complete different voice to another completely different human being, you know, voice. It's got it. it is it, is it that easy? You just make it look that easy? or It's, <laughs> it's got to be all different tones. You got to get your minds. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the game of it. I mean, you know, I, luckily I, I spend all this time in New York doing shows on the weekends with my group. And one of the routines that we did was, you know, let's get a famous man in history and we're going to do a, a biopic about that person. And uh, who are all the different stars that could be in this? And so we would change, change, change. The audience would call out different actors' names. And so I got very fluid on making these changes very quickly because there was instant gratification. I, I would do it, uh, a change, and they would laugh. And then we get another one and they would laugh. And so I knew that the audience was really having a great time. So as fast as I could go, I tried to really push it. So now I can, I can, I can do it pretty fast. You know, it doesn't take long. It's really, it takes about as much time as, as a decision, you know, because there's, um, there's really no gap for me. It's just a complete leap. I don't uh, hold back or evaluate myself. No, in fact, uh, here's Joe Biden speaking. Uh, I don't even have to, to rehearse uh, or something. What is it time for soup? Uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger, which came first, the chicken yeah. or the egg? The chicken came first because he was pushing the egg across the road. And that's uh, what caused the accident. <laughs> there was a hammer that came and it swerved to get out of the way of the bird and the egg. And it went over the embankment and there was an explosion. Uh, you can see it all on the news. Mr. Casey Kasem, how do I get yeah. to Sesame Street? How do you get practice? You get to Sesame Street by continual practice of the ABCs your numbers, and all the capital cities in America. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Uh, President George W. Is a hot dog a sandwich? It, it is. A, it's a species of sandwich. It's, uh, it's actually the, the hot dog is kind of the spinal column of the, of the sandwich. And uh, you can put anything else you want on it. These uh, little extras, accessories. And, uh, but it's not considered a sandwich. But I think if you look medically, you'd have to determine that that's what it is. <laughs> Mr. Gervais, what is the name of your Wi-Fi? My Wi-Fi? My, my Wi-Fi? You want to know my Wi-Fi code? Yeah, not going to give it up. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's not... Um, it's, I'll tell you what Chris Rock's is. Chris Rock's Wi-Fi right now is, don't hit me again. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Sir Ian McKellen, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? If a woodchuck 
actually could chuck wood, which they can't, you know. They don't have opposable thumbs. If, if It should be rewritten that if a woodchuck had opposable thumbs, it could, in fact, chuck wood and almost anything else. Oh, God, who's calling? Your voices are incredible. I could do that all day, but I don't want <laughs> But clearly someone needs to get a hold of you. <laughs> oh, my God. You were George W. Bush on Jib Jab. That's like the greatest. Oh, yeah. I was at that yeah, the I top did, of I did him a lot. The singing George Bush. I did the singing George Bush. I had to figure out how he'd sound when he was singing, which uh, I don't think anyone's ever heard on earth. <laughs> We did a lot of videos together. I still work for those guys, the Spiridellises. They've got a, a beautiful show for kids right now on Netflix called Ask the Story Bots. And my wife does voices for it. And my daughter sometimes does voices for it. And it is the most creative, sweet show. And I'm just nuts about it. It's called Ask the Story Bots. If you've got a six or seven-year-old kid, man, plunk them down in front of the TV. They'll learn something. They'll be delightfully entertained and inspired. I'll have to check it out. Grownups like it too. I, I bet it, it sounds amazing. <laughs> it is. It is truly amazing. I, it's one of my favorite, favorite jobs. Well, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. This was so cool. Pleasure. I loved all your voices and all your stories, and I'm, I'm excited for all your upcoming projects. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can. You've got a, uh, you've got a framed thing that has Jaws on it behind you. What is that? Is that a, a book? That is the Jaws log written by and signed by Carl Gottlieb. Carl Gottlieb, yeah. And okay, he signed it. Nice. Above it is a Joe Elves autograph. He's the guy. Oh. He's the guy who designed it. Oh, designed, wow. he designed Jaws and like all the everything. When you think of like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that's him. So I'm a big Jaws fan. Big Jaws fan. Me too. Me too. Massive, massive, great movie. All right, let's we'll do a, another episode and we'll just do a deep dive into Jaws. And you can do all the uh, voice. Yeah, you might be. Uh, you you might like the. Uh, I did uh, Quint uh, Robert Shaw doing a, a a speech from Jaws. Only it's COVID related. That's on my YouTube channel. If you type in Robert Shaw and COVID on my channel, you'll find it. I am looking forward to hearing that very much. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd appreciate it. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it too. Uh, I will say I do have Ross's autograph on my wall. So if, if you sent me a headshot, I'd have the entire Impress Me top line cast on my wall. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just address. saying. Send me, send me your address. I'll be happy to apply. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much. I can't. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, Jim Meskimen, everyone. How amazing was Jim? Those voices, incredible, huh? George W. on Jib Jab, come on. I am slightly obsessed with people who can do voices. I just, I think it's so cool. If I could do voices, I would do them nonstop, nonstop. Couldn't stop me. That's what I'm saying. You could try to stop me, but then you would fail. Anywho. Jim Meskimen. I'll put a link to some of the cool videos he's done in the show notes. You can check those out or just Google them on YouTube. Well, now that the interview is over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Download the free, always free hashtag roundup app at the iTunes app store or google play store tweet along with us and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of classic conversations fame and fortune await you the hashtag for this episode is hashtag my superpower would be 
Brought to you by Rogue Tags. Of course, I mentioned I was obsessed with being able to do impressions. And during the interview, I kind of mentioned that was my superpower, how I would use it. So we're going to explore what other people would love to have their superpower be with the hashtag, hashtag my superpower would be. And here's some to inspire you. Tweet your own. I'll retweet you at Jeff DeWaskin Show on Twitter. And let's do it. Trivworks, my superpower would be converting likes to retweets. Paul, my superpower would be eating Twinkies without gaining weight. That's a superpower and a best-selling book waiting to happen. Hump day hashtags, my superpower would be ending world hunger. Way to keep it real, bro. Pace. Hi, I'm Mike. My superpower would be finding what I'm looking for in the refrigerator. Oh, I feel your pain on that one. Miss Reds, my superpower would be having the power to turn gold into silver. Wait, what? That's a curse. GG, my superpower would be online shopping for hours and hours and hours. Oh, that sounds like a threat to someone's credit card. Sherry, my superpower would be the ability to teleport to avoid traffic. That's not a bad idea. X Hudson, My superpower would be a superhuman tolerance for alcohol. Cheers to you, my friend. Sherry, my superpower would be being correct like all the time. Wait a minute. You have the same superpower as my wife? And our final, my superpower would be tweet comes from Michael. My superpower would be making everyone fall in love with the library. This man loves books and so should you. All right. Another hashtag in the books. Another interview in the books. That can only mean one thing. Episode 145 is coming to a close. I want to thank my special guest, Jim Meskimen. And I also want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. Can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. So why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word. And we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations.